1: Today is Monday, February 17th here in 2020, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here on this Monday to tell you today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here on Celtic Speed. Appreciate Adam uh, letting me uh, kind of get my feet wet a little bit, letting the beak, so to speak, every once in a while. And with that, we're going to bring on the Athletics' Jared Weiss who we haven't talked to in a while. Jared, what's going on, buddy? How are you?
0: I'm just getting my Parks and Rec takes ready.
1: Oh, yeah. We had to, we just had like pre-show, uh, a hot take. I'll just throw it out there now for those of you that are Parks and Rec fans. Uh, Jared and I both agree that Ben Schwartz, John Ralphio on the show – Um, is the funniest guy in the show. I think it's pretty unquestionable right now that he is the funniest guy in the show. But second funniest on the show, I believe, is Jeremy Jam, um, who just says some of the funniest things you'll ever hear. And it goes kind of under the radar because he's like only in the last couple of seasons, but he's hysterical whenever he talks. So Jeremy and I were talking about how you might need to pay more attention to Jeremy Jam on your next uh, watch through of, of Parks and Rec. Are you a Parks and Rec guy or The Office?
0: I I think I'm a Parks and Rec guy, you mm-hmm. know, The Office holds more sentimental value, but I think the quality of joke writing and acting was better on Parks and Rec. I'm with so you. So I, I I would go Parks and Rec. I'm go. with you
1: as well. I think it's I think it's a funnier show. Again, I there is a lot of nostalgia tied to The Office, but I think Parks and Rec I think they just have funnier characters. Like when you think about it, like Michael's the really the only funny character on the office that's like funny consistently like jim's funny every once in a while and dwight does ridiculous things but michael is con- the only consistently funny guy whereas parks and rec like everybody's funny there's it's just like it's like a pass the baton sort of thing like i still can't believe like i have a hard time picturing rob low as chris Traeger because i remember rob low from uh tommy boy and he's like an asshole in that, in that movie <laughs> and a complete like chauvinist and then I watch him in Parks and Rec, and he's the complete opposite of what he is in Tommy Boy. I just still have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Um, well,
0: it's fun. yeah, Rob Lowe took a weird pivot turn where, like, he did that. He did The Ringer. Was it The Ringer? I'm pretty sure. No, The Closer. The Closer. That's what right. it was called. Yeah, and
1: it's, and I haven't watched it at all.
0: Such a good show. It was so, I'm so sad it got canceled after one season. It was real, really good, but he kind of played like a, a sweetheart on that show as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and for, that's your Parks and Rec in in, in uh, national TV take. Um, just got off the uh, the All Star game. Uh, did you think? Let's well, let's couple of just real quick hitters uh, before we get into like Kemba's performance and all that stuff. Um, which side of the dunk controversy are you on? Are you on uh, Derek Jones Jr. won it outright, or Aaron Gordon got screwed? Um,
0: Gordon Gordon got a little screwed. Well, Gordon got screwed because the the judges admitted that they fixed it basically. Um and I, I never you know, my biggest problem with the dunk contest was Reggie Miller, who of course was the worst commentator on T V, kept saying, This is a tie, this is a tie. It's like it's a dunk contest. You don't need to have a tie. There were someone made an argument about how we have rookie of the year ties, we have M V P ties. So no but those are season long contests. This is a literal in the moment contest where you could just keep going until somebody wins. the The actual co- uh, comparison would be that we don't have ties in actual games. We keep playing overtime until somebody wins, and that's what they should have done. And it seemed like they fixed the score so that there wasn't another um, another overtime in the dunk contest because they had to get to the the real OG or whatever what, what the show was. Oh no, the show was um, the one with Steve Buscemi and uh, and whatever Daniel Radcliffe. Um, that's actually a pretty good show.
1: Yeah, I don't you know, even awesome. I I don't even know about that. That sounds incredible. Uh, yeah, anything that's... with Steve Buscemi's and it's awesome.
0: I mean, I'll give TNT credit. They've done a good job of putting like good shows on after uh, after the NBA broadcast for the last couple of years. Like they've actually they've made it worthwhile to leave it on. It's no longer you know charmed reruns and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. So I'll give them credit. Right, but they um, it, it was a bit like the Zach Levine Aaron Gordon done contest a few years back where. You know Gordon had the most the most remarkable dunks, but Levine was the most consistently great. And I think that's the case with Jones, where like all of Jones's dunks were maybe like one percent not less impressive than Gordon's from an audaciousness perspective, but from an execution perspective. He threw it down. On the first try, did he did he have a single dunk that wasn't on the first try? I feel like he. I think maybe one.
1: Up. I think maybe the first one he didn't throw down right away. I think he did oh, okay. one of them. One of them he didn't. Th- but he for the most part, and that's what gets you most points. I think a lot of times, like if you can throw it down on the first try, a lot of times you're gonna end up with like a forty eight, forty nine, fifty. Like the ones that, like okay, that's a good dunk, and it took you two tries to get it. Like that's when you get your forty ones, your forties, cetera. The one thing with Gordon, like I'll throw a couple of things in Gordon's direction in terms of like what. I mean, I thought he should have won, one because he had all fifty dunks in regulation, whereas Jones didn't have a fifty in one of them. Um, I like the innovation out of Gordon, you know, as much as I. And again, I was absolutely, you know, uh, I had I got out of, off the couch. I was like standing up. I wasn't even like sitting down at points. Um, and but because Derek Jones Jr. was amazing, but he also did this like he just did a bunch of in between the leg dunks all the time and different variations of that, whereas Gordon wasn't always doing, you know, the same thing over and over and over again. And the last thing I'll say for Gordon is this. And this is one thing that I haven't seen a ton of around. And I, and I, this is like the hill I'm dying on in overtime. Like the, the two dunks that Gordon did. Tell me when he's practiced those. Because he copied DJ's dunk earlier in the night, which I'm sure he's maybe, like, done a variation of but never done exactly before. And then he dunked over Taco Fall, which I don't know when he's had time to, like, practice that because they play on two different teams. I mean, I know Taco played in Florida in college for a while. Maybe they – I don't know. Like, maybe they brought Taco to a practice in Orlando and, and Gordon was like, hey, I'm going to try <laughs> no, and dunk dude. over you. But I, don't I, don't think th- I don't think he's ever done any of those two dunks before. and I don't think that was factored in at all whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I mean, that last dunk over Taco was kind of the, the similar step up dunk that he did. And, uh, Pat Connaughton did it over Giannis. I mean, you know, the thing is like Pat Connaughton did it over Giannis. And we were like, wow, that's a 50. Although he also had the backboard tap. That was a great um, But, but Gordon did it. I mean, Giannis is tall, but you know, Taco's eight inches taller than Giannis, right? So, or maybe probably more like seven, right. but yeah, you know, pe- my, I remember I watched it with my dad and my dad. You know, I respect. I told my dad I disagree, but I respect it, at least the way you're saying it. My dad was like, "You know what? He didn't clear his head, so he doesn't win it. It's as simple as that." And you know, what? sometimes you do have to just like draw that line in the sand, especially as a judge. Um, so I do respect that. But I felt even if he even if he did sack tap taco from behind, I mean, he got he got over him and he finished the dunk. And even if he caught his head on the way by, it's like he still got over his shoulders and finished the dunk. And that's that was the highest leap we've ever seen ever. I'm pretty sure that's the highest we've ever seen anyone get the dunk contest. Yeah. I don't think anybody's
1: done any better than that.
0: Yeah. And to Gordon's credit, I I think Gordon has proven himself to be the best contest dunker of all time. Like the stuff that he's done, is just so far beyond the pale of anything that anyone's ever done. I mean, one of his middle dunks, that, and, you know, I guess it's been long enough that it's not like groundbreaking anymore, but he did the dunk that Jason Richardson, uh, tried and failed to do at the end of one of his historic dunk contests, which was like the, the 360 reverse, uh, through the legs, uh, windmill. So it's like a, or it's like, a, I guess it's like a 180 to 360 through the legs and then a reverse windmill. And Jason Richardson never pulled it off. I remember watching that contest thinking, this would be the greatest dunk of all time if he could pull it off. And that was just like one of Gordon's kind of like middle of the road dunks in there. I mean, that was really incredible.
1: And the, and the elevation he gets is just insane. He like floats yeah. up there for so long. That-
0: I mean, he's got to have like a. Probably a 50 inch vertical going on some of those.
1: Yes. And he's, and he, and like, I love how Reggie Miller was like, he's been cupping. This is something, he, he's been prepared for this. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he is, he is legitimately dedicated to this dunk contest. And unfortunately, you probably won't, like, you won't see him do it anymore. And uh, which is unfortunate because if you were to put, and this will be the last, this is how I end on this. If you were to find a way to get, Derek Jones Jr., Aaron Gordon, Zion, and Levine in a dunk contest. I mean, you could just do that all night and skip the rest of the events. Nobody would care about any of the other events and just have that be its own thing. Um, and maybe, maybe bring more dunkers into it. Maybe just not have four. Maybe have like six or eight. Cause like the Coniton was great. Like I thought, I thought he was excellent. Uh, he did, just, and I, you know, everybody that has followed the draft, you know, knew that Coniton could get up and he could shoot threes. So it's like his, his performance was not surprising to, you know, a lot of people out there. But, you know, you could get a, a six-person dunk contest going. It would be a little bit more interesting. Um, moving on quickly, do you think that, you know, the, the All-Star game last night, everybody's raving about the, the, the fourth quarter and, and you know, a little bit of the third quarter, how great it was. Do you think that they fixed the All-Star game with this, or did Giannis trying really hard earlier in the game kind of get everybody going late?
0: Oh, they clearly fixed it. I mean, it was. I I thought they fixed it when they made the announcement that it was going to be the Elam ending. I mean, the Elam ending is just incredible. Um, and we saw that in the basketball tournament, which um, I don't know if anyone's watched before, but it's pretty interesting. And the Elam ending, especially, is incredibly fun. Um, but the you know I I, I a couple of people that I talked to said that they felt they felt that a lot of the motivation was. Uh, trying to honor Kobe's memory, but I, I didn't think that was the case. I think it was just that the way that the play is structured, it just it makes it makes you realize how valuable every point is, and it motivates you to play m- harder. And that ending was by far the best ending to an All Star game we've ever seen. I mean, you could you could talk about like MJ's final All Star game, Kobe's final All Star game, uh, Magic his return, but like. While those were like really memorable moments, the quality of basketball was not there. I mean, this was, this was incredible playoff caliber basketball. And this was like the first time I've ever watched an All-Star game and think like, wow, this is like super basketball. This is all All-Stars playing at their hardest. This is what it looks like to watch the pinnacle of basketball. And this is the only time I've ever seen an All-Star game in any sport ever pull that off because all All-Star games suck.
1: They're, all, They're terrible. all
0: terrible. They're all terrible. And they somehow – figured it out and we got to see like when you play I, I don't play 2K so I'll go with Madden as an example when you play Madden you play like the all-star team versus the Legends team and everybody's insane and you're playing as hard as you can that's what this looked like and it was amazing. And this was like the best I mean, you know, at the beginning the first couple quarters they were they were effing around it was kind of mediocre but they still had some exciting moments and they still it was still really exciting when they got towards the end there and they had to play for the score but that that entire fourth quarter was amazing and the last the last like ten points of the fourth quarter was just like some of the best basketball we've seen this year.
1: Oh no doubt. And and what was funny it was on for me, it was on when Giannis blocked LeBron on the left side, like left baseline. I was like, uh oh. I was like, Giannis isn't backing down from LeBron at all, and LeBron's trying to show everybody that he's still the best in the world, so this is gonna be real interesting. And the only thing that that, that was weird for me was like Giannis didn't call for the ball at the end of the game. Like they're all, and Giannis explained, you, we just want to attack who was guarding Harden. I'm like, no, no, no. Giannis, kick the ball. You're the captain. Let's go. Like this is what people want to see, you know. And I and I felt bad because Kemba, other other than the fourth quarter, had a great game, uh, shot the ball extremely well, but it came down to the fourth quarter. And I, did it? In your was he gas? I couldn't quite tell if he was just missing shots. Or if there well, was he, was
0: play, of... he was playing beyond his minutes limit, which uh, <laughs> I'm sure Brad Stevens is not I excited about.
1: Well, yeah, I'm sure um, but, I'm sure Nick Nurse got an email this morning.
0: Yeah, sure. Um I, I mean I don't know. Kemba took a bunch of relatively open threes and bricked them. He just played terrible in the fourth quarter. And he had that what really cost him was that long dribble that he had around LeBron in transition that he just dribbled out of bounds and he was just like he you can see it the look on his face was like what the hell did I just do? Well,
1: he was looking for the body uh, contact and LeBron didn't hit him. I think yeah. LeBron somehow just stopped and, you know, leaned his chest out of the way, got his arms back. So that Kemba just kind of slid right by him, and Kemba was like, "Shit, I was planning on getting hit right there." <laughs> yeah, but that fourth sure. quarter had it all. We had Kyle Lowry taking a charge,
0: <laughs> he taking got, like three charges. He got Kyle he Lowry strip, the strip. F- I think. I mean, Kyle Lowry should have. I, I was really hoping Team Giannis would win, just so he would win MVP of same, the game.
1: Same. I was. I was way into that, but I w- it was just funny that uh, you had Kyle Lowry take a charge. He flopped. You had a review. A coach, we had two coaches' challenges. It felt like again, it felt like a real a real basketball game, and it was awesome. And the only thing that again is not like troubling is you need to sort of make this so Celtics related is you know Kemba's performance at the end. And I was listening to Simmons and Rosillo this morning, and they kind of touched on this in terms of like should we be afraid that Kemba Walker didn't look so hot at the end of an All Star game? Oh it's, come on! Yeah, you no, I, I was like I was like eh, we we reaching here. I think we're reaching here. Like this is. You know, this is, Kemba's not going to go up against the team of LeBron, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, uh, and I, uh, Chris Paul, who he, played He just won side. the
0: game in Oklahoma like a week ago. Like, right. <laughs> that, that's a dumb talking point. I will not address that.
1: No, I don't, I don't think so either, but it was just interesting that they were like even talking about it. I'm like, this is one game against like a ridiculous, they're like, well, in the playoffs, will it, will it really, you know, it's, just, it's, 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 it's a playoff like that? Like, first off, no, this is not a playoff atmosphere. This is still a game for fun. And like they were trying at one point, which is great, but it's not like this is not a playoff atmosphere. Like Marcus Smart is not injecting his lifeblood into every single person on the floor right now. Um, it's 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 different. I get that, but like you know, let's let's pump the brakes here. Keba had a bad game. Who care? Well, he had a bad fourth quarter. He had a decent game, um, but people want to make you know something out of nothing here because you know we have nothing to talk about in the next couple of days. That's my take on that. It's pretty accurate. Thank you. Appreciate it. Quick break from Jared to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season. The NFL is over. Hope you all cleaned up during the season. But XFL now on the docket for those of you de- degenerates out there still looking to gamble on football. You still have the opportunity to. And I know the XFL is a little different, but they're still – Money to be made and betonline.ag as you cover with that. NBA futures are still in play as well. Lakers plus 250, Bucks plus 300, Clippers plus 400, Sixers plus 1,000, Celtics plus 2,000. Still think, you know, look, I told you to be in the season, bet on the Celtics to win the division, not to win the NBA title, win the division. Here we are plus 2,000. I like this team. I don't know if they're going to win the title, but plus 2,000 is pretty juicy odds. Take the Bucks, though. Whatever you do, I think the Bucks uh, are the best team in the league this year, and I think this is their year to win the NBA title. Um, but BetOnline.ag also has odds for NBA MVP and Rookie of the Year. And if you're looking to score more on than things of more than just basketball, BetOnline.ag is cover for golf, soccer, hockey, and even baseball futures are out. I wonder if you can make a prop bet because custom you can customize your own prop bets on BetOnline.ag. I wonder if there is a prop bet for how many times Jose Altuve will be plunked in 2020 by an opposing pitcher. Remember, when you go to betonline.ag use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on an next deposit. That's betonline.ag promo code CLNS50. Let's get back to Jared. Um the Olympic event that I thought that happened past couple of days besides, you know, the All-Star game was of course the game before that. Before All Star Break, and it was great that it was the only game on the stage pretty much for the night. I know New Orleans and and OKC played a, a really actually a really fun game that had a lot of Zion. You had Stephen Adams throwing a half court pass into the basket for at the buzzer to, for his like only three like maybe ever. Um And uh, you had that game on trust me, but you had the the Clippers and Celtics which took the main stage on TNT where. You know, Jason Tatum, if you haven't been paying attention, you're, you're probably paying attention now had At 39 against the Clippers in a double overtime game that was really thrilling. And I've been saying this to Kaufman for weeks that we, two weeks ago, we had Brian Robb on the show from Boston Sports Journal. And I told Kaufman, I said, ask him if you, th- if he thinks Tatum's the best player on the team yet. Cause I had starting to, you know, you start paying attention a little bit and I started to come up with the idea that Jason Tatum is starting to really, you know, you saw Brown take the leap prior to the season. Tatum's leap is happening as the season is going on here, and what it's been able to do on both ends of the floor has been unbelievable, and I thought it was the prime showcase for like, oh, this is Tatum's, like Tatum is, had his coming out party weeks ago, but this is where everybody starts to notice it right now. Um, I thought Tatum was ridiculous on both ends, and in your, in your opinion, Jared, was he more impressive on the offensive end or the defensive end?
0: Uh probably defensive end, the way he shut down Kawhi in crunch time. Uh the way that he's you know, getting he's making great help reads, he's picking off passes, getting and what's great about him is when he gets a steal, he goes coast to coast and finishes almost every single time. So his his steals I think are more valuable than most players. I agree. Um but yeah, he's he's almost yeah, I, I thought early in the season he was better defensively than he was offensively. He's catching up now to the point that I think it's probably the other way around. Um, I've seen people talk about him as defensive player of the year. I don't. I wouldn't quite go that far at this point, but he's definitely turning into a probably borderline All NBA defender r- right now. He's probably pretty close, and which means that. Since he's only 21, I'm pretty sure he's going to get to the all defensive team pretty soon. If not next year, hell, maybe even this year it happens. But, uh, he's, he is a really, really good defender and he's improved. He's, he's been really good in most of the ways that I've thought he was going to be good and that he's really good in help space. He's good rotating into the rim to help as a protector. Um, and he still hasn't really improved some of the important areas that I think are flaws for him. Um, most, the, I think the big one is closeouts, and that's a huge part of his role. A lot of the time in defense is he has to go hard and close out, and he still bites on upfakes. He still closes out too hard where he jumps out of the play. He does that all the time, but I think he's starting to control it a little bit more, and I'm not noticing those plays happen as often as he as he used to at the beginning of the year where every time he closed out he just took himself out of the play and it was a major major issue. So, I think he's cutting down on a lot of those mistakes. He's still very good defending probably one through 3 on ball and he's pretty solid defending fours that try to power him as well and then you know, we're seeing that just the playmaking out of him is just he is whether it's steals, deflections, rebounds, and taking in transition, I mean he's a he's becoming a really good defensive playmaker. And so when you put the whole package together, he's probably the second best defender on the team to uh to smart.
1: Yeah, that's, and that's good company if you're gonna be second best to anybody. It's not a big deal. You agree with me he's the best player on the team right now?
0: Yes. I think so. I'm hesitant. <laughs> it's, it's okay. um,
1: you can be hesitant, it's fine. We can talk yeah. now if you want.
0: Yeah, I mean, the way he's, the way he's scoring like right now with the way he's scoring, sure, but, you know, he's, he's on a hot streak. He'll cool off, I'm sure, at some point. I mean, he's, he's had a lot of downswings this year, too. So, you know, J- I feel like Jalen's been the most consistent. Um, but Jalen hasn't been as impactful defensively. Like, J- Jalen is, he's really good at, um, at chasing guys. He's pretty. He's pretty good on ball against most uh, most attackers, even powerful ones. He's shown that he's actually pretty good in the post on both ends this year, which is a big step forward for him. Um, his playmaking has been solid. I mean, he's he's just been really good all around. But there's just yeah, you know, T- Tatum. Tatum's playmaking at both ends, I feel like just it just puts him on a, a level that's a little bit higher than everybody else.
1: Yeah, I think it's between. Kemp, well, it's it's tough to evaluate who the best player of the team is sometimes because you know role does matter. Like you know there there is an important like as as Kemba as a reliable go to scorer is a very important role. I do think Tatum has started taking some of that responsibility away from him and starting to sh- shoulder that. And you saw it at the end of the at the Clippers game where he was just unbelievable. And, and it was a smart thing that they did. And, and I think you mentioned it a lot. Um, throughout the game, I, I think I retweeted you every once in a while on that, but it was like, yeah, just get Tatum on, a, you know, in, in pick and roll until you get the switch you want, which was they, they clearly were attacking my guy Landry Shamet that night, and just Tatum went after Shamet time after time after time again. And again, sometimes you know Kawhi would be there, and 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 Tatum would do a good job of finishing over Kawhi. But what I liked about Tatum was, and it started to kind of happen more recently, he's. He's, instead of stopping and settling for that mid-range shot, he is finding ways to get to the rim. and that You saw that sort of earlier this year, but he wasn't finishing. Now he's starting to finish, or at least draw contact and get to the free throw line. That's been the biggest improvement for him, I think, as the season's gone on. He's been a really good shooter for the most part during his, his Celtics tenure the first couple of years. This side dribble, step-back three that he has in his back pocket that he throws out you know, three or four times a game and makes 50% of them is an insane shot that I did not think he would be able to add at age 21, uh, but he's doing it consistently. But the stuff that's really impressive about Tatum is how, instead of settling for that mid-range shot, he's putting the ball on the floor even more and just trying to get to the front of the rim. And, again, that was the big thing between you know Tatum be, being a nice player and becoming a superstar. Like, that was it. It was like, you know, he has all the shots in his repertoire for the most part because his footwork's so great. Uh, he has, you know, insane length. He has great speed. His handle, you know, for the most part is good. He can still work on that a little bit. But the one thing that was bugging everybody was his finishing. Like, he, this is a guy that it doesn't make any sense why he can't finish. He's so long. He's gotten stronger. He's added muscle. Why can't he finish? And now that he's gone through the season and kind of figured it out, now you're seeing the full spectrum of Tatum where he can kill you with the three pointer because he's such a great three point shooter. And if you close out quickly enough on him, if he's open, you know, he can drive to the basket, go to the free throw line, finish through the contact. Like, there was that one play. Late in the, I think it was late in the second overtime, where he got by, I think Kawhi, and got in the middle of the paint and got basically where the restricted area was and was met by Montrezl Harrell and got a little body bump with him. But Montrez did a great job going straight up and put his hands up in the air and Tatum still absorbed the contact, floated up over him and got. I think it was not a backbreaking one because I think that Hayward's three was the backbreaking shot to end it all, but it was a, a, a clutch bucket they needed late in the game. And it was, like, one of these, like, oh, this is, you know, again, this is Tatum's coming out party. And this is, like, the final step we need for him to really ascend to that upper tier type level of playmaker that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I I think a big thing is, one, he's just super confident in his deep shot right now. And so he's – and one thing that I like is that when he's he's attacking a closeout – He's using the sidestep three as a way to attack a closeout a lot. You know, I mean, a lot of the time that sidestep three is he's got a defender on him and he uses that to get you know get separation. But he's also using the sidestep against a closeout instead of trying to drive in, and I like that because that shows really good confidence in his stroke. And I think he just you know Drew Hanlon was in town um, for a couple different stints early in you know, the beginning of the year and beginning of like 2020. And I think that they just did a lot of work to help recalibrate some of his handle stuff. And he's just so much more confident. I mean, I watched them do a few different drills on his handle and on his different types of finishes. And we're starting to see them show up in the games. Um, I remember having a, like probably like an hour long conversation with Drew just about how he needs to incorporate the jump stop into his attack and we're just seeing it so much more. And I think I, I think I did a story on that on the Athletic about a month ago. And I'll probably have to I, I probably have to do another story on Tatum's attacking uh skill sets. But um because it's it's evolved so much in the last month and a half. But He's just attacking with so much more comfort and control getting into the lane and you are right in what you're talking about with the power being a big factor there is that he's just – he's a lot more comfortable taking contact and using his shoulders to wall guys off and that's where you become kind of an unstoppable score when you can put your shoulder into a guy so you can still control his body when you're in the paint, and then get off your your other hand, use that to get off hook shots. And Tatum is showing, right. you know, he's been mostly a righty uh, finisher, and he can occasionally finish with the lefty hook. He's finishing with the left hand. It seems like, anecdotally, I'll have to ch- go check the film on this, but it seems like he's finishing with the left a lot more consistently now. And, you know, that's when you're finishing with either hand on the different varieties of finishes you have, whether it's an overhead you know, floater shot or, a, a you know, extended hook shot or a reach out finger roll. If you could do it with either hand, that makes you like almost impossible to guard at his size. Um So he's got all that cooking for him. And what I like is that he got a lot of criticism for his early jump, kind of like stretch out finger roll that he would put up as – People would say, like, that's him kind of panicking or jumping early. And it's, that's not the case. What it is, is that he's able to gauge where the defender is and figure out what's the best way to attack this offender, a a defender, so that I can get the shot off cleanly. And a lot of the time, that early jump, the early jump release is the best way to do it because it's before the defender's ready to get his body position, to get his hands in the way of the shot. And so you're able to scoop it underneath them. And I think that. People saw that being his primary finish, and he was overusing it. And now he's really just using it when he needs to, and that's and that's great because that means that he's just he's able to confidently, you know, more confidently finish with power and be able to use the appropriate shot for the appropriate moment. And that's why we're seeing him finishing so consistently now.
1: Yeah, it's it's the it's the big thing that, and then the last thing we need from Tatum, is to, again, to really say like he really made the leap. Um, I think mean, he's made it, but to. to, to plant that flag firmly there the consistencies that and you mentioned it earlier the consistency has to be you know has to be there and you know you, you get, every guy has an off night it's just not like not saying like he can't have an off night or but you sometimes he does have stretches where um he just is, is cold from the field but if he can find again that's why getting to the free throw line going to the rim will end a lot of those you know you're, you're not going to be able to hit you know 50 percent, 40 percent of your threes all the time but you know getting to the free throw line is a good way to keep that you know you uh you that twenty points, twenty five points, thirty points per game, whatever that Tams end up being, um, getting to the free throw line and getting shots at the rim is going to keep that keep that flowing. Again, I I do think Tams best player on the team. I think the defensive side of that um, has a lot to do with that over Kembo. Like I, you know, Kemba's a great offense player and is definitely a better fit for the Celtics team. But he, defensively, again, it's just not it's just not great. But Boston's spent years, but you know, building a defense around bad defensive point guards. This is nothing new. Um, so you have Tatum as your. Yeah, one- and I, I'll
0: just. Go ahead. Yeah, and I'll just say, just to hammer the point home, uh, what I was talking about with working with Hamlin and kind of recalibrating since that loss that they had in Philadelphia in 14 games, he's averaging 26 and a half points, 50 percent shooting on 19 attempts per game, and he's shooting 445 percent from three.
1: That's good. Those are good numbers.
0: Quite good. Yeah. Quite good.
1: Analysis. Um, but yeah, so you got Tatum as your one, Kemba's your two, um, and you have you know Hayward's future is kind of up in the air we talked about it a little bit before the show started about how, you know, Hayward's, you know, he has a, an option coming up and then a potential deal coming from that later on. Not sure where we're going with that, but in terms of, uh, you know, his future, of the Celtics, a little murky. And then you have Jalen Brown, who's had, as you said, probably the most consistent year of anybody on the team. He's been unbelievable. And, you know, Fortunately for him, he gets some time to rest here, and, and you know he's got what ankle injuries and you know, on, on on either side. He's maybe he aggravated something else in his one of his legs. It's been kind of a rough spell here for Jalen Brown. Some time to rest up will be good. You know, but you look at the way this team is sort of, you know, the the, the pecking order is sort of there, and it, and it kind of leaves Brown in a in a weird state of like limbo. Uh, he's been really good this year. And some people argue that he could have been an all-star you know, selection over Tatum, but I think Tatum's last couple of weeks show that he was the right right choice there. Um, do you think that the way this team is, their pecking order is set up, do you think that affects the ceiling of Jalen Brown? Do you think he, there is another level to Jalen Brown, or it, it, can he reach a different ceiling somewhere else, or is his best situation in Boston, and that's probably going to be the best version of Jalen that we'll ever see?
0: I mean, if he went somewhere else where he had the ball in his hands the entire time, he'd probably be averaging more. Same thing with Tatum. I think all these guys are compromising. I mean, look at Kemba. Kemba's been more efficient this year than last year, yet his points per game is down five points. And if you read my my latest article on The Athletic where he sat down with me for an interview about All-Star Weekend and the playoffs, he is extremely happy with that. These guys are all happy with it because they're winning. And I know, I know that Jalen cares way more about being in this situation where he's a leader on a winning team than he does about going somewhere else and putting up 25 a night. And not to mention, he just got his contract, so he's good. Like, he doesn't – it doesn't really matter anymore for him. He really – he's one of those guys that he just wanted to secure his contract. Otherwise, he's pretty happy with everything else that he's got going on. So I I wouldn't really worry about his happiness level. But as far as actually bringing out the best out of him, um, I I feel like they don't – they run more sets for Tatum than they do for Brown And maybe a little bit of that is just that Brown is probably easier to not have to run play sets for necessarily. But I think they probably should be doing that a little bit more for him, getting him involved in the pick and roll a little bit more in the latter half of the year than he has in the first half of the year. He's, But, you know, it's also just part of the role that he's put into. And also as far as just like who has a better skill set for it. But like Hayward and Tatum are going to be running pick and roll a little bit more than Brown is in the system. Um, but you know, if they want to be great in the playoffs, they need everybody to be doing it. So I think it's probably the one area where they probably could give him a little bit of push. But otherwise, I think he's been pretty great this year. And uh, I, don't, I wouldn't paid. have any complaints if I were him.
1: Yeah, he's been ridiculous. Quite frankly, when it comes to sports media, we need to be throwing more pies. That's steak, bourbon, and sports. Less pie, more steak. It's simple. We grill a great steak, talk about the steak. We drink great bourbon, talk about the bourbon. And we throw pies and talk about sports. Not in a literal sense. The steak and the bourbon are literal, the pies, figurative. We're making sports fun again. Or we're making fun of sports. Probably both. Join me, Ari Temkin, from the Dallas Cowboys Radio Network and Sirius XM Radio, and my good friend Jeremy Mandel. Steak, bourbon, and sports on CLNS Media. Episodes available Wednesday mornings. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to and consume your podcasts. And enjoy the company. So the one thing that I, I found interesting, um, and as Adam and I, we, we always have you know, discussions throughout the week about like what we want to talk about in the upcoming show. And one of the things that I started to kind of think about more recently is the idea of resting, you know, in the schedule. Like, what, does Boston? Rest guys, or do they go for that two seed? Because nobody's catching the Bucks. Let's just get that out of the way right now. Nobody's catching Milwaukee. They're gonna have the one seed, whether they rest, honest or not. Not gonna matter. They're gonna have the one seed unless somebody gets like you know if Middleton you know tears his ACLs out for the year. Um, But Boston is in a weird spot because I'm not quite sure you know if they have the ability to rest, like where they would do it. Because if you look at their schedule coming up, like right out of the gate here after the All Star break, they have the Lakers, they have Utah, and they have Houston. All on the, uh, no, Lakers, I think are, are Lakers on the road? Lakers on the road, right? That game's, or is that game in Boston? Game, that's no, it, no, that's his trip coming up right yeah, now. So yeah, so the, the Lakers are, that's in LA, in Utah, in Houston, right out of the gate, the first, three of the first five games. Then they have, beginning of March, they have Utah, Oklahoma City, Pacers, and the Bucks. They have another game of the Bucks later on in the season. They have another game of the Raptors later on in the season. And they have two games against Miami. The to, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, they have two games of the Heat at the end of the season where it's like, they're in Miami one night and then like four nights later they're in Boston or vice versa whatever at at, the, at what do you at what point do you consider like resting guys making sure we're healthy for the playoffs versus we need that two seat because we want to have a home series with the Raptors or we're worried about Miami coming up and and maybe stealing that three seat from us and that we're in that four or five matchup with Philly where we don't want to be
0: uh the uh they'll definitely rest them just historically speaking they always do it. They're, they're going to rest guys. They're not going to, they're not going to push for that second seed. Um, they could use it because they're definitely, (laughs) they definitely prefer the home court advantage and everyone knows how vital that is in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, they're not, they always rest their guys. That's always been the case. They've always preferred keeping them healthy and they've seen over the years the impact of, uh, what, you know, how impactful health is on your ability to make a run. So it's, I don't think it's even a debate in the NBA anymore. It's like seating, as long as you're like firmly in your, your station in the league, seating is just not nearly as important as health. And they're in a position where there's no way they can lose home court or it's extremely unlikely that they could lose home court in the first round. And I think that's really, that's all you really care about. I mean, there's definitely a big difference between facing Indiana and Brooklyn in the first round. Like, I mean, it would be a lot easier to face Brooklyn, but, I just, I just really don't think Brad Stevens cares. I think all he cares about is keeping those guys healthy, and that's been hard enough this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels like every other day. I mean, the hospital Celtics, well, you know, are in which, which is just
0: there. the Celtics at this point.
1: Yeah, it's it, it was funny. I, I made a point. I was like, man, I love this team when they're fully healthy. And Bernadone, uh tweeted back at me on Twitter was like, they're not even healthy right now. They're still missing guys. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good point. But it's like the healthiest they've been and what it feels like forever. Do you think this team? Because obviously Danny, you know, has said some things. I think he did it to ninety-five, ninety-eight, five, sports hub said some things about how he believes that this team, when they're fully healthy, can go up against anybody. You have that same belief?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, 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 can't, I think I just talked about this on uh, Jovan Buha's podcast, but we were looking at the Clippers, who are in kind of a similar position to where the Celtics were last year, and they're like a team that very clearly, on paper. They just need to get themselves together and they clearly can do that. While the Celtics, I think, have demonstrated that they're a team that doesn't quite have it on paper, but we're seeing when they put it together at their best, they really are as good as any team in the league. And so, yeah, they could, they could definitely win the title this year. There's no question about it. The likelihood of that is like probably 5%, but it's, it's there. And if all, if their core five guys are all shooting the ball well, at the same time, they just, they have the luck going at the same time. Um, that they could be scoring 120 points a night just off of that, and we know that their defense can figure it out and match up and execute well enough so that they can they can beat all these teams, including Milwaukee. So there's the the possibility certainly there. I think the likelihood of them getting past Milwaukee is pretty slim because Milwaukee's been perfect this year. I'm a little dubious about how much better Milwaukee, I feel like the gap is going to narrow between Milwaukee and Toronto and Boston, who are the, I think the two teams on the tier below them right now, uh, when we get to the playoffs, because Milwaukee has been getting by on their just incredible depth and how well everybody has been shooting and their ability. to kind of just like pick up, you know, I guess, I guess like pick the right guys to be hitting their shots that each and every night. And I think that that incredible depth that they have loses some of its value when you get to the playoffs and you're playing an eight, eight and a half man rotation, and the, the Celtics' lack of experience and their depth, I think that will be mitigated a little bit as well uh, to help them out because they're going to be getting down to that eight-and-a-half-man rotation as well. So, you know, the Celtics will be within punching distance. There's no question.
1: Yeah, and I feel like, as I've said a, a numerous times on Twitter, like that Brad Wanamaker spot in the playoffs, I believe will go to Gordon Hayward because he's shown that he can do that. They just don't want to exhaust Definitely. him at this point. And What's great about Boston's depth is they have three big guys, and Tice being unbelievable this past month. I mean, Tice has been insanely good. And, if you know, it's one of those things where if you don't watch the game, you're just looking at boxers, and they, you'll have no idea how, how to measure his impact. But he's been absolutely tremendous, and especially in that Houston game on the road where he was really instrumental in a lot of the things that they did and their ability to play. A little bit bigger against, against, uh, against Houston really revolves around his ability to stay in front of guys and switch and help out. And it was tremendous. I I loved what I saw out of him, but between him and Cantor and, and Rob Williams, if we, if he can come back and be healthy, they have three big guys that kind of all do a little bit something different and they have enough wing depth to kind of, you know, pressure you defensively and have guys that can cut on the offensive end. And they have smart guys as ball handlers between Kemba, smart, in Hayward, and if you want to sprinkle Tatum in there as well, you can. They have enough combinations of things to kind of match up with everybody, which is great about their depth. And then if you want to, as Brad has said, if you want to shake the snow globe a little bit, you can throw in a, you know, a Wanamaker for a minute or two, just see what happens, or throw in Shemi Ojolay, who's again kind of played really well the past month, month and a half. Um, if you really want to shake things up, you can throw Romeo Langford in there, but I don't think they'll get that desperate. Um, or if you're looking for some shooting, maybe Carson can get hot from three, but their, their rotation is pretty defined. But what's great about the rotation is how different they can be coming out of it. You, you get what I'm saying?
0: Sure. And I, you know, I think a big way to figure out how this is going to be different is to look at Al yeah. Horford's numbers over the years, where Horford last season, he averaged 29 minutes per game during the regular season. And then in the playoffs, averaged, I think, about 34 minutes per game. So he's pretty much every year played an extra five minutes per game in the playoffs, which was basically them just cutting a player out of the rotation and having him play those what would be second unit minutes. And that's what they're going to do. I mean, Tatum, he's been playing, I think, 34. Uh, Jalen has been at 33 and a half. Kemba, I think, has been around 31, 32 this year. Like those guys are going to be playing in the high 30s minutes per game. So that's how you take And So having those guys on the floor – it's just going to make their offense so much better than having to figure out how do we get our offense to continue to pump out when we have just smart and canter and maybe Jalen on the floor. It's like their offense is going to be a lot better in the playoffs. There's no question.
1: Final thing as we get you out of here. Uh, Sublix made their own news the other day uh, by announcing that during the Clippers, gonna, they're going to retire KG's number. And, of course, gets everybody up in arms depending on what side you fall on. Where, are you – okay with the Celtics retiring Katie's number or are you against it
0: I think I tweeted something like people complaining about Kevin Garnett number getting retired just shows that our society has fallen into the depths of hell because we can't get through anything without arguing over it. Yeah. Basically, it's like, I'm with it's you. It's so obvious that he should have his number retired. It's not, it's, it should not even be questioned by anybody. It's, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I, I think if you don't think KG should have his number retired, by so looks you have a big dump in your pants and you got to loosen up a little bit because his impact on this, on the franchise, you can still see it today. Um, and, you know, again, it wasn't a long run, but again, if he, if some things broke a different way, you could have, you could have easily seen two or three rings out of that, that core. And because, you know, you had, def- Garnett was coming down, again, off the peak of his powers in, you know, in Minnesota, but was still a very high-level player. You still had Pierce playing at a very high level. Uh Ray was a great shooter still. Rondo made it all kind of work, and they had enough, you know, bench depth to, to really go toe-to-toe with a lot of teams, including in 2010, where, again, you know, if Perk doesn't you know, if Perk plays in game seven. We might have a different, you know, different outcome in that one. But I guess the, the, the follow up with that would be, you know, does Ray, is Ray next or does Ray not fall in that category? Because, oh, that's
0: done. No, that's done. Yeah. His number's already give, been given away. That's true. They didn't give away 34 or 5. They, you can't, you can't retire a number after you've already given it away to somebody. When numbers are getting retired, mm. you usually know if someone's number's getting retired because the number gets held back after that person leaves. And, yeah. They gave away number twenty as fast as they could.
1: Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. That's why we have Jared on this show because he's got uh, great stuff as always. Again, if you don't think KG Jeff is ever retired, then you gotta chill out and and really really evaluate because again they're like, oh well, you didn't play long enough. Well, look at measure the impact and, and and this is how removed are we from the Nets trade? And it, still you can see like you know a lot of his. Uh, a lot of his culture changes that he brought with him to, to Boston are still in effect. And I, I, they
0: also, they didn't let him retire here. He could have played an extra three seasons in Boston if they had let him retire here.
1: Right. And then we then at that point we're talking, because yeah, look at, he's the gift that keeps on giving. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you have Tatum and Brown, thanks to him.
0: It's very true. It's very true.
1: All right. Jared Weiss, do me a favor plug all your stuff because you're a maniac and do a lot of stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, you can find me on the athletic covering the Celtics, uh, I, my my recent stories were a feature on. Uh, I had a sit down with Kemba Walker where we talked about his goals for the rest of the season, about how happy he is. I think he uh, he called Jason Tatum a effing superstar. Uh, before that was before the game where we all started calling him an effing superstar. Uh, so Kemba was very much ahead of the curve on that one. Um, and then another feature I was really proud of was uh, Yovan Buha and I, who I mentioned before, who was our Clippers beat writer. We put t- we worked we uh, got together. We did a a feature on Terrence Mann who is from Lowell, Massachusetts – and it's a really fascinating story, I think, about how he was someone who grew up watching the games from the Halo up above the balcony and now has worked its way down to being on the floor and playing for the uh, – he got to play 12 seconds for the Clippers the other night. But it's a really fascinating story of a kid who got to meet Doc, Doc Rivers. He learned from Ray Allen when he was a kid. And his mother was the women's coach at Northeastern for almost a decade. And she's been a professional – or a, col- a mid- like a major college coach uh his entire childhood. And the story is that – he learned from her were really fascinating so definitely give that a read and then um every monday morning to kick off the week i host a daily ding podcast on the athletic which is a roundup of everything happening around the league although i'm not doing it uh this monday because it was all-star weekend and who cares
1: yeah, I, I, look, you guys are busy enough. You, the athletic is everywhere at all times, so it's, it's tough, but, and, and don't forget, every once in a while, you can catch Jared on CNN Philippines, which is my favorite little oh, that nugget too. about Jared Weiss that I will never let him forget because I think it's awesome that he's the international Jared Weiss. I love it.
0: Well, thanks for, that, for having me on as always. Appreciate I always love being in my old stomping grounds. I, I mean, I am, I should, the plug I should mention is that I'm a co founder of CLNS Media Network and I am proud to come back. I have a former, host on Celtic speed. I must have hosted the show like five years ago or something. And I love that. It's still going strong. It's one of the best programs out there.
1: Appreciate it, buddy. Hey, take care of yourself. Uh, make sure you catch Jared on the athletic all the time. And, uh, Jared, we'll talk soon, buddy. Thanks a lot. Thanks man. And that'll do it for this episode of Celtic speed here on CLNS media. Again, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Big shout out to Jared Weiss from the athletic for joining me here today. Jared does so much stuff. It's ridiculous. He's involved with everything. So just make sure you follow Jared on Twitter and at The Athletic and everything that he does. He's amazing. I love talking with Jared every single time he comes on this show. Or, you know, whether it's on a different show or just, you know, him and I DMing all the time. It doesn't matter. Love talking with Jared. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to this show both on iTunes and on Stitcher. You know, Adam will be back next week. We have a big guest coming up eventually, just kind of working out how we want to get that person on the show. It'll be a fun show. Trust me, I already have all the questions kind of laid out for Adam that I want him to ask, to Adam on his own thing. So make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes and uh, Stitcher so you're up to date on all the shows coming out. Also, make sure you subscribe to CLNS Media on YouTube. We're kind of changing things around, so hang with us for a bit. But make sure you're up to date with that by subscribing to all of our channels on YouTube. Big shout outs again to Jared Weiss, to BetOnline.ag, to my, uh, normal host of this show, but acting as my producer today, Adam Kaufman, and he'll be back next week. Shout out to Nick, Larry, and John, uh, the brain trust of CLNS Media, and then the biggest shout out to you guys, because you guys make this show possible every single week. You guys are the greatest people of all time. I love you guys so much. Stay tuned for more Celtics Beat. But in the meantime, Geno, get me out of here. Let's go.